0: So our reading is Luke uh, chapter 14 and we're reading verses 1 to 14 uh, and it's on page 1047 if you're using a, a church bible One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee he was being carefully watched There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, was it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Thank
1: you, John, for reading for us. Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's pray together. So please, would you speak to us through uh, your word, the Bible, this evening? And uh, where you lay your finger on something specific in our lives, we pray, Lord, you'd give us the strength to take the action we know we should. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, a number of years ago now, I was uh, I was going for a run, <clears throat> and after about half an hour or so, my, my heart started going really bananas, uh, very erratic, and I was feeling rather ill. So I stopped running, I walked home rather slowly, next day I went to the GP, got referred to the cardiologists, and they did tests, lots of tests, so... Uh, not just the ECG, had an echocardiogram, a stress test, a 24-hour ECG, an event monitor for a week. And uh, they could find absolutely nothing wrong. Whether that's still the case now, <laughs> it's hard to say. But uh, uh, that was a few years back. And this evening, we're looking at our hearts. Not our physical hearts, you understand, but actually the core of our being. And we're going to look at our hearts by looking at Jesus' hearts. Because we're going to see this evening, although you think, well, that's all about Pharisees being awkward and asking difficult questions and so on. But actually, we're going to be seeing about Jesus and his heart as we look at the passage this evening. And it all starts when Jesus is lured into a trap by the religious leaders. Um, It could get nasty, but he uses it to teach them and us about his way, about his heart, and he wants us to live in the same way. But first, uh, let's be clear, there is a a, a trap, if you like, Um, it's a setup, a trap laid for Jesus. So, uh, verse 1 there, on one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. These days, there would be a camera in the smoke detector, but actually, Jesus was being carefully watched. It's got the, the word implies something about a covert operation. Um, they don't want him to know they're watching, but Jesus knows full well that they are watching. And right in front of Jesus, um, no coincidence, there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. He had dropsy, most likely, which affects the body tissues. So the fluid there uh, is retained and you swell up and he's probably terminally ill. These days he'd probably be down at the martlets rather than just around on the edges of a dinner party. And it's a, an obvious setup. They're gagging to see if Jesus is going to heal on the Sabbath. Um, they know that. Jesus knows that. So he takes the bull by the horns. So you look at verse 3. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So if the answer to their question is, uh, no, it's not lawful to, uh, to uh, heal on the Sabbath, then they're being unbelievably callous because there's a guy there who's probably heading for an early death. And they're saying, you're not allowed to heal him today. I know you're here perhaps only today, but you're not allowed to do it today. So they're being really callous. But if their answer is yes, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, then they're breaking their own laws. So it's a no-win situation. And the law actually allowed them to heal an animal on the Sabbath. So if they're saying you can't heal on the Sabbath, then actually they're, being, they're treating this guy worse than you would an animal. So, verse 4, they remain silent. And Jesus heals them and he sends them away out of harm's way. Healed, by the way, means completely restored. It means totally well. It means not just on the way to recovery, but a wonderful miracle that we will want to praise God for and not just ignore it. But it's almost Jesus heals him and then we go off and talk about something else. But let's not, let's not just ignore it altogether. This was something extraordinary for this guy. And he is made whole, made well, and it's done instantly. It is a miracle, and we praise God for it. But it's not the main point. Because the main point here is Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart. Now, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law here, these professional religious guys, they're, they're more concerned about their own laws than for the man himself. They just didn't really care. They were being, frankly, rather callous about the whole thing. They cared for their laws, for their religion, more than they cared for this guy in his desperate situation. Just means, makes me wonder, how much we really care for people. So to give an example, um, uh, Richard was here this morning, Richard Brunton, Living Hope Ministries, and um, we get a, a first Friday of the month prayer thing through each month on the email. And uh, one day I was praying for the Philippines, and this is what a little entry for the Philippines. Um, this is a pastor speaking in the Philippines. Two months ago, I sold my car to help our people. Now my pocket is empty. I was expecting that we will be back in two months' time into normal life. And it says, Pastor Johnny is feeling very discouraged and asked for a prayer because he felt like giving up. Thanks for your prayers. There's a pastor who sold his car in order to care for his people. He's no Pharisee. He's got a good heart. He's got a heart like Jesus. And now he's in big trouble. Financially, because he sold his prized possession in order to care for his people, and uh, uh, there are three things I think we can see here about Jesus heart, three things he wants us to be like too. So we 're thinking this evening about jesus way, and the first one is that Jesus way is the way of compassion. So you look at verses one to six here. Now the passage doesn't use the word compassion. Per se, but then it doesn't need to. Because it's a consistent undercurrent here going right the way through the whole passage. He has compassion on this man with dropsy who's uh, really ought to be down the road at the martlets. And the Pharisees, the religious guys, don't. If compassion clothed itself in the human body, someone wrote, and went walking around this earth, what would it look like? We don't have to wonder, he wrote. It's a glimpse into Jesus' heart, actually, isn't it? Yes, it's. Uh, uh, this is yet another time when Jesus actually breaks the fourth commandment about the Sabbath. In fact, it's the fourth time in Luke's gospel that Jesus breaks this command uh, about the uh, the Sabbath as they see it there. But the issue here is not the Sabbath, no. The issue is their hearts. The issue is their compassion or lack of it. The issue is that they're really not bothered about the ill guy. They just didn't care. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Because Jesus' way, as we see strikingly here, is a way of compassion. But what is your heart like and my heart say when we watch the news? By the way, I hope we do watch the news or at least listen to it and catch up with it on a website or something. I think Christians should be watching the news and praying about the things as we do so. But actually now, now that it's kind of all the awful stuff is a bit more in the past now, but how's your... How's your heart? How do you feel for the people of Afghanistan, for instance? Or for that Philippine pastor who sold his car to care for his people? How do we how do we feel? How do we care about those people? How do we feel for uh, Christian people in Pakistan, for instance, who, who can't work, and then where their churches cannot gather, the pastors who rely on the weekly offerings of the people uh, in order to have an income uh, are not actually having any income at all. Some of them are starving. How do you feel about another place I heard of this week where um, Christians are afraid to sing loudly? They wouldn't be singing like we have tonight. They wouldn't have a PA system. They have to sing very quietly in case someone hears them. And if they are heard, they would be taken away. How do we feel about folks in that kind of situation? How do you feel about an empty chair next door to you? Maybe someone who was sitting there in uh, in recent weeks or recent months who used to sit there is watching this at home. Ill, alone, lonely. How do we feel about these, about these things? I came across a story about um, a boy who was ten and he was standing outside a shoe shop downtown barefoot and shivering with cold. And then a rather obviously well-to-do lady came by uh, and she stopped and asked him what he was looking for in the window. And he replies that he wasn't looking for anything in particular, but he was asking God for a pair of shoes. And she said, well, look, come with me. And they went into the shop and she asked the assistant for a bowl of warm water and soap, first of all. And then she knelt down and washed his feet. And then she asked for five pairs of socks for the boy. And then he asked, she asked him if he would like to choose a pair of shoes. So the assistant brought the socks. He chose a pair of shoes. The assistant measured his feet. She brought out the shoes. And then this lady knelt down and tied up the laces. And then she said, I'd like you to also, I want to buy the best pair of trainers that you've got. And given to this young man, so they then came out with the best pair of trainers that they had as well. And the boy was astonished. And uh, uh, and then she turned and smiled and uh, uh, and walked out of the shop, leaving him with a uh, new pair of shoes, a new pair of trainers, and five pairs of socks. And he called out after her, "Are you God's wife?" <laughs> to which she replied, "No, just his friend." Well, compassion means doing something very often, doesn't it? It's a feeling which actually results in us doing something for other people. So when you see the news, when you hear about a pastor in trouble, uh, you might pray, you might send some money, you might write a letter or whatever we can do. If you see someone next door or an empty seat here and you notice that someone, you suddenly think, "Oh, I haven't seen XYZ for a few weeks. You give them a buzz or whatever it would be. Let's pray that the Lord would change our hearts and fill us with compassion for those who struggle. For people we know who struggle. Compassion means feeling strongly enough, probably to help in some way. Because that's what Jesus did, wasn't it? That's Jesus' way. And let's ask God to help us to make it our way too. So Jesus' way, first of all, the way of compassion. Second thing is this, the way of humility. And look at verses 7 to 11 here. So Jesus, still he's at the dinner at um, the Pharisee's house. He showed everyone his immense compassion and then he noticed something. So look at verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. And uh, the parable, you see at the beginning of verse 8, it's about a wedding banquet. And of course, wedding banquets are a, a kind of bit of a code in the New Testament, especially when talking about heaven. I want to tell you a parable about heaven is actually what he's saying. And he's talking there about Humility humility. Now, what does Jesus notice in particular? He noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table. So, uh, for instance, it would be like a wedding banquet. These days, you'd have a you know, a a top table or a high table, whatever you call it. Um, And he he, he casts this this ridiculous picture where you go in and you just go straight for the top table where the bride and groom and the family and so on are going to be sitting. It's a bit like, if you have a look at the arch up here above my head, it's a bit like um, the main people are at the point of the arch and then everyone else gets uh, around the edge of the arch down the side here. Now, In our culture, there's no way we'd go right up to there, would we? We wouldn't go up to where the the main people are. We would choose a place down here. And Jesus is saying, actually, you guys, when you arrived here, you were trying to get as near to the host as you could possibly get. That's what they did. So it's it's actually, it's a little bit like, um, uh, it's kind of bustling your way in. Have you come across Sir Carl power? Did you did you uh, see him when he came out to bat for England at Headingley? He's, no, he's nowhere near anything like the England cricket team. Do you notice him on the left there and Roy Keane on the right saying, what's that bloke doing here on the Manchester United team photo? You see, we're actually talking about Jesus' way, the way of humility, not like Karl Power, for instance. And, uh, uh, and, and was it the same guy who came in and bowled a ball at the Oval in the, in the Oval Test match this summer? Carl, it's getting beyond a joke, okay? It was quite funny the first time. We wondered how you managed to do it, but uh, let's have some humility now, eh, shall we? That would be good. So, this parable is about humility and pride. And pride's an ugly sin, isn't it? Thomas Manton wrote this, other sins are against God's law, but pride is against God's sovereignty. C.T. Studd, God God can do little with those who love their lives or reputations. Because the thing is, you see, humility is Jesus' way. Not seeking the highest honor. Not seeking the best seat. Humility, as C.S. Lewis said, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And of course, the person who... Nabs the seat at the top table is only thinking of themselves. It's a ridiculous situation. But spiritually, isn't that how we think? We still think, don't we? And so many of around us think that getting to heaven will be about, in some way, about our achievements or our service or our niceness or my dog collar or The size of my church or my youth group or how well our small group's doing or whatever. And so in doing, when we think about those things, we're actually exalting ourselves. We're building ourselves up and thinking that somehow that'll make a difference. It's painfully obvious to everyone else. And yet so often we just often just don't see it. Spiritual pride. God is bound to accept me. It doesn't work like that, does it? And when we saw last week, was it last week, about the narrow door? It's walking in through the narrow door, the door of humility, no room for the baggage of pride and things like that. God will never ever accept you or anyone else on the basis of what you've done or how nice you are. I hope we all know that. It is simply his extraordinary and wonderful grace and we need humility and we need reality and we need to understand that we're sinful creatures and not worthy of anything. Verse 11, for all those who who exalt themselves will be humbled, Jesus says, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, it's those who humble themselves Who recognize, I'm not worthy of anything. And so we cry out to God for his mercy. And we will be exalted by being given our place with Jesus in heaven. (laughs) And yet we still don't believe it. We're very persistent in our pride, aren't we? We still don't believe it. And there are all sorts of people we see and we, we, we really value who don't believe it either. Athletes don't believe that, do they? All those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The athletes we see playing football or rugby or running or whatever, politicians don't believe it. They don't believe what Jesus said in verse 11. Businessmen don't believe it. And it's very tempting for us not to believe it either. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Let those words of Jesus sink into our hearts and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let those words of Jesus sink into our hearts too. Someone wrote, that is Jesus' personal work and he will see to it. Jesus' way is a way of compassion, a way of humility. Humility. And the way of service, third, the way of service. And that's uh, verses 12 to 14. Walter Nishioka uh, was a, a resident of Hawaii and a regular customer at the Radisson Prince restaurant on Waikiki Beach in Hawaii. He'd had a brunch there every Wednesday morning for 22 years, obviously a creature of habit. And now, age 70, He had a serious kidney disease and he needed a transplant. There was a long-standing waiter at the Radisson Prince restaurant called Joe Ricasa. And when he heard that they couldn't find a match for Walton Ishioka and that in time he would die, then he wondered if he might just be the right tissue type. So he checked. And remarkably, extraordinarily, he was. And so he donated one of his kidneys to Walter Nishioka. And that is what you call service, isn't it? Hope you got a good tip. What exactly is Jesus saying here? Look at verse 12. Um, Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might may invite you back and so you will be repaid. Does he really mean never invite your friends to dinner? Does he really mean never invite your family? Is that what he really means? Well, if we look more carefully and he's saying, uh, don't let your own desire to be invited to their place... Rule who you invite for Sunday lunch. He's saying stop being selfish about that. Stop being proud about that. Stop being self-centered about that. But verse 13, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You'll be blessed. In other words, invite those who can't pay you back. Invite those who aren't going to invite you back to their place the next week. Turn outwards specifically though who do you invite for dinner or Sunday lunch um, is it always uh, a family it's a good thing to have family around of course isn't it but how about inviting someone else as well or another couple as well as that maybe a, a, maybe a new couple maybe someone you're sitting next door to maybe someone you've never seen before but why not come for lunch next week or whatever it would be why not do that Christmas is a special time, isn't it? Christmas is a special time for families. Apart from last Christmas, which for many of us got to get a bit cancelled in terms of seeing family, isn't it? It did for us. Weird Christmas, not having any of our children around. So we invited Matt and Steph around for dinner, Christmas lunch. and Because uh, they were in the same position. And uh, lovely time. But over the years, when we have had family together on Christmas Day... We've always tried to invite some others as well, one or two or more, and uh, to share the day with us. Um, I hope it's been good for them. It's certainly been good for us. And actually, you know, we still, uh, when there are children around, or if we're talking about Christmas, we'd still talk about people who've come for Christmas Day. It's been great. And it's service, isn't it? It's Jesus' way. It's just something, a little thing. It's just nice to do and to share with others. There's a proverb, isn't there, which uh, is this. No man's life is for his private use. And when I was at school, primary school, one of our houses was named after Elizabeth Fry. I mean, I'd say a house. It wasn't a boarding school or anything. It was just an ordinary little junior school. But one of them was called Elizabeth Fry. It was called Fry. And she wrote this, since my heart was touched at 17, I believe I have never awakened from sleep in sickness or in health by day or by night without my first waking thought being how best I might serve my Lord. And Jesus says in verse 14, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous in other words he's saying you're serving others proves the genuineness of your christian faith and when jesus returns and his, pe- his people are raised from the dead for eternity that is our reward, isn't it so who do you who do you serve how do you do it are you relatively new here would you like to get involved serving uh, we had the serving survey uh, uh, two or three weeks back. Uh, we were a bit disappointed, really, because we heard from all the people we didn't really need to hear from, and we didn't hear from the people we really did want to hear from. Um, um, but if you'd like to serve here, we'd love you to serve here, to do something. Christian people are people who want to serve, aren't we? And Jesus is the way of service. Are you serving? For some, we go through a season where serving is difficult, don't we? Maybe that's now for you. But for most of us, most of the time, serving just ought to be a way of life. Something we do. It's good for us. It's good for the church. And it's good for folks we know. It's what Jesus did. It's Jesus' way. It's what Christians love to do. And so three things. Jesus' way is a way of compassion. It's a way of humility. And it's a way of service. Two things, it seems to me, that we would want to do. First, is to praise him and thank him that although he was God Almighty... When he walked this planet, he was someone who was characterised, characterised by compassion, humility and service. What a God we have. And second, as Jesus lived his life here like that, it was also an example for us and a challenge for us. Where we can say to ourselves and we can say to him, Jesus, I want to be like that too. And please would you help me. Please would you help me today to be someone who like you lives a life which is the way of compassion and humility and service.